Why do we have prayer conference? You know, why is that what we're doing, going to do here? Let me, uh, I, I kind of think in terms of pictures sometimes. There was a movie I saw a long time ago on Gettysburg. Uh, just real quick story. There's a man who was placed in a particular section of the, it was the second day of the fight. His group had been in a hot spot in the first fight, and they put him on the edge so he wouldn't be in the fight. Unfortunately, that particular position that they held was attacked. They were supposed to be resting, and they were in a, a firefight of major order. And here they here they came, and um, and it's just quick. The man had to keep them going, and I, the one scene that uh, kind of pictures what I think I'm doing and the reason we have this prayer conference is that colonel walking behind the line just saying, keep up your fire, boys, keep up your fire, keep it up, because all of a sudden they were tired men and they were confused and the rest, and he had to remind them, keep firing, keep loading those guns and putting them up, don't just look at them, keep going, because this is crucial at this moment that you... You get those those rifles loaded, and again, it's a lot more complicated than the Civil War. Load them up and keep them, keep it going. Now, in a real sense, that's that's part of what I believe uh, my work is to encourage people to keep up your fire, keep up the fire, and I believe that fire is prayer. But that is the key element in the conflict. Of the day. Now, there are two important sides to our belief. We have to keep up the prayer. We have to keep with the Word. Now, I'm just going to tell you, honestly, I think there are enough men who God has moved upon to encourage us in these days to keep with the Word of God. I believe that's so. I'm not so sure that the church has enough people to tell them that we need to keep on praying, keep your fire up. And we're in tough days. We are in, we're, we're in difficult days with regards to Christianity. We shouldn't be afraid of that, but we have to face it. All right, so that, that's kind of my uh, thought. That's why 20 years ago when I had a chance to do this, this is the first time we ever had a conference during school. We always had them in the summertime. But I wanted to have a prayer conference because I wanted to get people who prayed together with kids to mutually inspire one another so that we would go forward with prayer. Now, again, I'm saying that because I'm now going to do something I loathe to do, all right? But I'm going to do it anyway. I wrote a book. <laughs> I am not going to make any money on this book. Right? But I, did, I wrote it for a reason. That was the lesson that I got when I came here. That the reason why most failures take place is because men don't, take prayer seriously people don't pray for one of two reasons either they don't think prayer is important honestly or they don't think they're important all right either they don't think prayer is important and we can get by without it and the church is is sus you know that's a problem we can run into or and the more important one for me is this you don't think you're important all right and so as I was going through school here, uh, Mr. Carroll went through a book. It was an old book from the Victorian era in which he described, this man talked about the lessons that the Lord taught in prayer. This is what Jesus said about prayer. As if you go through the, if you go through the New Testament, you will find out. If you put everything that it says about prayer, if you took the time to look at every verse and put it all out there, you would find out this. 
Jesus Christ teaches us how to pray. In the epistles, the apostles tell us what to do with that skill. They tell us how to apply. We're going to be talking this morning about application of the skill of praying. But it's Jesus who tells us how it is that we're to pray. And so often we fail in our prayer lives because we, we don't have a real foundation for our praying. We have historical foundations, traditional foundations. But when you start having the firefight with the devil and everything is going confusing, you don't know where to go. You don't know what, what am, where am I going to rest my faith? And the book is simply, it, I'm a, I'm, uh, a scientist from background. It's not written to try to wow you. It's just, this is what it says. This is what Jesus actually said. Here are the principles. They're very simple. But in the middle of the fight, you have to know those simple principles. And so that's, I would just encourage you to get it if you, again, are concerned. Because people give up in their prayer life because they don't go back to what Jesus said. As simple as, again, you can read there. I'm not going to talk about it. As simple as this one. Oh, I was praying, but my prayers never seemed to get above the, above the ceiling. I've heard that so many times. It doesn't have to get above the ceiling. It doesn't. Because when I direct my heart towards God, He always listens. He says so. All right, that's, that's the kind of simplicity the book is. All right. This is what He said. Get it. Why quit praying because it doesn't seem like it's successful when God said it was successful? Just by the fact that I address my heart honestly to God, I will be heard. And not heard in the sense that he's going to do what I ask, but I have his attention when I direct my heart towards him. He said so. So when you're in the middle of a fight and the devil says, this is worthless, you got a choice. And that's, that's all the book is. It's just, this is what he said, the choice was. Just to make sure that we have that foundation so that in the conflict, we don't go back to traditions and we don't go back to things that may or may not be so, not even even encouraging stories, but um, go back to what does it say? This is where my, my faith has to rest. If we're going to believe that the Word of God is, is the truth, then we should go back to it and hold on to it. So that's, now I've done that. I don't think I'll ever do that again, but anyway. Uh, but, it, but it is, it's just mechanical. It tells you, it's a, it's a textbook for the students. I teach that course, and I want them to have it later on so that if in 10 years they're having trouble, oh, yeah, that's what we said, that's what we said, that's what we said. It's simply what Jesus has to say. And it's amazing what he does have to say, because what he has to say addresses all the issues that people run into in prayer. And he gives you great reason to be aggressive and confident as you pray, because of what he says. If I'll rest on it. Okay. That's our introduction, but now we're going to get down to the point for the day. So let's commit our time to the Lord in prayer. Father, we're coming asking you to speak to us by your Spirit as we we think together, as we meditate together on the calling that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ and the potential of our lives and the necessity in those lives. So we come and trust you for it, and we look to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn with me in the book of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. All right, we've heard this before already this week, so I won't uh, say too much about it, but background counts, right? There's a reason why the book of Ephesians was written. 
And we'll try to go through this very rapidly because we don't want to spend too long in the background. But you have to get the point. Ephesians is not written to, uh, it's rare in the books of, uh, or the epistles of Paul, it's not written to counter an error. It is written by Paul to lay down what his theology of the church is. This is who the church is. This is what we are. It's, it's just a, it's a doctrinal statement. Just like the book of Romans is his statement of the gospel, the book of Ephesians is his statement of the church. Right? It, it has to do with us as a group. All of us. Right? Um, it is a book which I believe should be read in as, it should be applied as a group, not so much as individuals, although it's obvious that we have to do it each individually. Why do I say that? Because in that book, he gives four major pictures of what the church is. This is four major pictures. The first picture is this. It's the body of Christ. The body which carries out the will of the Lord Jesus Christ. The second picture is that it is the temple of God in the Spirit. That the purpose of the church on this earth is to be the place where the invisible God becomes visible to men who are seeking Him. That's But... When we're doing that, it's not just that I should be that, but that comes right at the end of a place where he says, and we are stacked one stone on top of another, built together into a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. We are, not just I am or you are, but we are. The third picture is the intimate picture as the church is described as the bride that belongs to Jesus Christ. It speaks of the love that he has towards us, the bride of Jesus Christ. But the fourth picture is that we are the army of God. It's seldom put out, and particularly in our own day, um, we, we kind of drift away from uh, military language in Christianity. Uh, jihad has uh, kind of forces to rethink, not forces to rethink, but it's made people nervous about it. Let me just say something about that, so because I'm going to talk about spiritual warfare and all the rest of the conflict that we're in. Um, jihad's completely different than what we're in. Jihad is directed against men. It's warriors of God fighting human beings. All right? In the church, our warfare is not directed towards human beings. In the book of Ephesians, Paul describes what our relationship to human beings is. Inside the church, it's to be one of, of humility and patience and tolerance and it, it, it has to do with getting along making this unity with regards to the people out around us it is holding a gospel to them they are not our enemy they are the prize to be won they're the prize to be sought and that's all described there how i'm to treat people who are in the world because it's our job to to hold a gospel up to them to present good news to them but while that's taking place we do have an enemy the enemy is unseen. And at the same time that we are involved in presenting the gospel, we are also involved in a conflict. Because those who were presenting the gospel to are held in captivity. And the deliverance of those people from captivity will involve actual combat, face-to-face, intimate contact with powers of darkness. All right? So that's... That's where we are. Now, let me just say, again, I want to get all the pieces. We 
we heard about it last night, but I think if you want to understand my picture, what we're going to be talking about this morning, we have there's a there's another place we could go to. Um, we're not going to turn there, but in Luke chapter 22, and uh, the Lord is speaking to Peter. It's the night before the crucifixion. It's right before he tells Peter that he's going to fail. But he he says this, Simon, Simon, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. How about that? Now, in getting a spiritual conflict, you got to get that clear. Satan had to demand the permission, right? He had to demand it. Devil can't do anything to a person who belongs to God apart from the hand of God. So that keeps our spiritual conflict in, in balance. We heard about that last night. That's important. But the other side of it is this. He demanded the permission, and the implication is he demanded the permission, and it has been granted to him to sift you. And it's not just, it's not just talking about Peter there. It's a plural. It's the, the disciples. That night was going to be one terrible night for the disciples. Right? And God has allowed that. And Jesus doesn't just encourage Peter. Remember what he says. I think it's one of the more precious things when you've been through life a little ways. But I've prayed for you. And at that point, Jesus is speaking directly to Peter. Peter, you're going to be sifted like wheat. And he knows Jesus knows what Peter is going to, his response is going to be. He knows the failure of that night. He knows the, the temptation he'll be under and how he will fail. He will, he knows the bitterness that will immediately enter into Peter's heart as he realizes what he did. He knows this is going to be a really, really rough night for Peter. But I've prayed for you. And then comes this tremendous statement. And when you're restored, when it's all over and and everything's put back in place, I prayed for you that your faith wouldn't fail. And when you are restored, isn't that tremendous? But between the, he's demanded permission, and when you're restored, Jesus said, I prayed for you. That's mysterious. And Jesus doesn't try to sort it out. It's mysterious that Peter would be kept because Jesus prayed for him. The Father was going to allow it. And that brings us into this, this important matter of spiritual warfare and our conflict that we're in and our responsibility to pray. And that's what I want to think about today. It's just, I figured it would, in the third period, we had to have something really simple. All right? There are many, many different aspects to prayer. We are concentrating on one. All right? So this is, doesn't, is not a course or not a message on prayer in general. It has to do with a particular aspect of our praying which is extremely important just before this verse it's at the end of chapter six paul's been speaking he introduces this uh, matter concerning the spiritual conflict we're in so i want to look in that and read uh, starting at the beginning of that section in chapter six verse ten Right, I'm just going to read part of that. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm 
against the schemes of the devil, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. I'm going to stop right there because it gets us far enough to get the picture. Paul is talking about a a spiritual conflict we're going to get into. We are in, whether we like it or not. But he says, here's what it is. Put your armor on. Now, again, a few minutes ago I just mentioned, we have a tendency in these books to read them individually. All right? To read them as, okay, I've got to put my armor, I've got to put this helmet, I've got to put this... uh, and that's that's legitimate. I'm not trying to argue against that. But the picture here is really not of me alone putting on armor. I mean, what would you think if I just... I mean, of course, we don't put on armor. <laughs> if I just came in here in a suit of armor. What's it doing? I mean, what's, what's this all about? You put on armor... Because you're going to join other men in a, in a conflict. This isn't a picture. You know, I guess this is part of it. We have to remove this a little bit from the movies and everything. Real warfare is a whole lot different than movie warfare. All right. Movie warfare. Anyway, we won't go there. Don't have time. But a lot of it has to do with individuals. You know, the great individual who in, in, in real warfare, it's a group of men who work together to get it done. That was particularly important for the the armies that he's speaking about, the men who were going into battle. Because you put all these things on, and then you take up this shield again. And and they're going to march out into a battle where another group of men have all kinds of nasty things that they're going to try to mash their heads with and cut their throats with and all the rest of it. They are not getting ready to go out onto a parade where there aren't the soldiers walk by, and isn't it where the bands play, and isn't it wonderful? They're getting ready to go out into a place where, where people get shot and killed and hurt. And it's, he says, now, put your armor on. But it's not one here and one there that puts the armor The whole army puts their armor on. And when they put their armor on, a big part of this is the shield. And the Romans did have a particular way they carried their shield. I don't know if you ever saw them, but they're curved. But they also had a way in which when you marched forward, those shields overlapped each other. There was a wall in front of you. And behind there were guys that put their shields up like this, and we go forward. Because there's going to be flights of arrows coming over the top. There's going to be arrows coming in this way. There's going to be pikes coming in this way. And everybody moves together. Which means that if the guy two down from me puts his shield down, I'm in trouble. Not only is he in trouble, I'm in trouble. Because his shield is not only a protection for his heart, it's a partial protection for me. If we all keep our shields up, then we're all safe. If somebody lets their guard down, puts it on the ground, then everybody around him is in trouble. And if an arrow comes in, and I'm three down, and I get hit by that arrow, and I drop my shield, this begins to be a mess. So it's imperative so that the call here, when he says put the armor on, is suit up. He's calling not to one person, he's calling to a, an army. He says, we're going into battle. Get ready. Put it on. Put it on all of you. All right? So that here we are. And then we're going to go out into the combat. Does it make sense? So it's, it's, we have to think of this 
as what we have to do, not what I have to do, although I have to carry out my part in it. Right? So after he says that, he says he's talking about the fight that we're going to get into, and he talks about using the, the Word of God, which again is a very important feature of things, but it's not what we're going to focus on today. I want to go to then his application in prayer. He's talking about prayer. And it's, it's, it's interesting to me that Paul, when he's talking about the church, all right, this is his doctrine of the church, and he talks about prayer, he waits till he gets to the section on the warfare before he enters the, introduces prayer. I think that's interesting. It's not that that's the only way Paul sees prayer, but it is interesting that he puts it at this juncture. Now that creates an opportunity to interpret, because it is the, pretty much the last verse of his exposition, it has the potential to be understood two different ways. This may be the last thing he has to say about the spiritual conflict, which is more or less the way I think it should be, but we have to admit that it could be the last thing he has to say about the entire ministry of the church. It could be understood either way. It would be, it, it, it just, there's no way for anyone to be certain these times. But I'm going to take it with respect to at least if it covers everything, it covers the, the spiritual conflict idea. So we're going to think of it primarily with respect to that. And so in um, <clears throat> as he gets to the end of this, in verse 18, he has this to say. After we have gone into the conflict, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints, and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. With all prayer and petition. So now he's getting to the end. He says, hey, here's one of the things you're going to have to do as a, an army out in the field. You're going to have to use all prayer and petition. As you go into this conflict, you're going to have to pray. We, just, we need to note that. But he's going to tell them how they have to pray in this conflict. Right? Now, the first part of it has to do with, he says, with all prayer. There's, there's four alls there. The uh, outlines of sermons always have the four alls. So, hey, they're there, so we might as well stick with them. First of all, he says that you're to use all prayer and petition. And in there, he's not making any specific statement. He's just saying there's a, there's a whole lot of different ways you can pray. You can pray by praising God. You can pray by confessing sin. You can pray quietly. You can pray in a group. You can, it's just, what he's saying is you got all kinds of weapons in your, in your arsenal. Use them all. Use them all. This is, this is kind of a pep talk section of it. Use every means you can to pray. Because the, the battle's that important. <laughs> you don't want to leave anything in the... You don't want to know, go walking out and have weapons left over that could have been used. So he says, launch it all. <laughs> launch the whole bunch of it. In all prayer and petition. There's so many different ways. And that, that involves, again, not only individual prayer, but group prayer. This would include every different way that that army can pray. All right? It's extremely important. Again, we heard a little bit this morning about that, that 
letter. It kind of brings back a lot of memories, all right? I know some of those people that he mentioned. If you read that letter, he says there were some people who were already planning to come. I wasn't one of them at that particular point, but I know the men who were. Takes you all back to here. Why did, God, why did Mr. Carroll start this? Well, he told me one day, I started school for this reason. People in the church regard prayer as incidental rather than fundamental. So he said, they regard prayer as incidental rather than fundamental. And they don't know the enemy they're up against. And therefore, they get beat up in a lot of ways that they shouldn't be beaten up. Church has a lot of wounded that should never have been wounded if we would have realized the importance of prayer and the nature of the conflict we were in. So use all the prayer. He says use it all. This is one of the reasons, again, maybe the most important course I took while I was here was the prayer course. It, it was a very life-changing event as I began to, to think about what the Bible actually says about prayer and the importance of that. So he says, when you go into this conflict, pray, use every means you can. Then he says to pray at all times, all right? So you get to all times, all right? In other words, there's, you can't let up on this, all right? You can't let up. Once you're engaged in a conflict, you have to finish the conflict, right? Somebody's going to quit first, right, in a battle. Somebody quits first. Who quits first? All right. Remember, I've given the illustration many times. It's, again, it was one that I keep remembering when I have to pray. When Duke Wellington said to ask whether his soldiers were better than French soldiers when he was fighting Napoleon, he said, no, they're not. But they're just as good for five more minutes. That's all. The, it's just the difference. Sooner or later. In those days, when the, when the armies collide, somebody will give in. Who will give in first? All right? And it, this is part of the pep talk aspect of it. We, I wonder, so often for the church, it's the church that gives up first. We desert the place of prayer before the conflict's won. And then we have to mop up the, the problems that occur in that. And so he says, you pray at all times. Keep on going, right? But you pray in the Spirit, and that part there just means this. He doesn't describe it there, but to pray in the Spirit here, it means to pray in coordination with the Spirit's purpose. It's very important to Paul. There's three letters that are written simultaneously, or pretty much simultaneously. We're here one in, in the evening. Philippians, Colossians, and, and Ephesians. They all have very similar vocabulary in them and very similar themes. Paul's got something on his mind, all right? And he's coming there to pray in the Spirit. If you put all that together, he's very concerned that you and I understand what God is doing on this earth. In the book of Colossians, he said, I'm praying for you that you will be filled filled up, overflowing with the knowledge of the will of God. And that's not a knowledge of what I'm supposed to do with my life. That's a knowledge of the program that God is bringing to pass from the beginning to the end. There is something God is doing on this earth. Right now, we're in the middle of it. Isn't that a tremendous thrill to your heart to know that you are part of the program that counts that when everything else is finished when all when these buildings are gone and they will be gone one day when this country is gone and this world and all of its culture is all over something will remain what will remain the program of god he says i want you to be filled up with a knowledge of that 
And then when you come to pray, you're going to be filled up with knowledge, not just so you'll feel good. But if I know where I stand with regards to this, then I can pray. I can give myself to prayer because I know this is the purpose of God. This is where we're going. I can avoid praying for some things because they're not what God's doing, right? There's, I mean, we pray a lot of prayers. You're going like, wonder why we prayed that. What's that got to do with the program? What does that have to do with what's happening over here? Be like a, a guy that is on a football team and the, the guy, you know, hike and, and he runs off the side. Where's he going? He's going to hit the other coach. Well, you're not allowed to hit the other coach. He did a nice tackle on him. But what difference did it make? Fifteen yards? An ejection from the game? <laughs> All I'm saying is there's a program going on, right? There's something happening on the earth today. There's a church being built. We have a chance to be part of it. You and I, isn't that wonderful? I think that's wonderful, you know, to know that at the end of your life, you've been involved in something that's going to count, and you have a participation in it. And all of us have a participation, right? So you're praying the Spirit. Praying in Spirit at this point is just getting in line with that. Just like being filled with the Spirit of God is getting in line with what He is after. You're in line with what He's after. He'll answer to that. And I want to keep going there. That's the second all. Let's go down to the third all that He has. So you're to pray uh, in the Spirit. And with this in view, that is praying in the Spirit, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Now, I want to take a little bit of time and sit on that one. Be on the alert. Be on the alert. Being alert is a trained response, right? Everybody in here is alert to different things, all right? We're alert to different things. I often use the illustration that I think I see more birds than most of you see because for 50 years I've been a bird watcher. It's a cheap let me just say, when you're in my condition, it's a cheap entertainment. All right. The birds are free. All right. All you got to have is a pair of binoculars about it. It's, this is your whole equipment and a book. Once you've invested in that, there's no more. How many hobbies stop investing after a book and a pair of you know, binoculars? Wherever you go, there happens to be a bird. And then when you're done, you don't have to clean them. All right. So anyway, so it's, it's, it's just easy, cheap. Entertainment, But anyway, nevertheless, uh, I think I see them. Why do I see them? Because I've trained myself to look for them. So that when I walk outside, I hear them. Why do I hear them? Because I've trained myself to hear them. And it's almost, it's almost ingrained now. Oh, yeah, particularly this time of year when you're listening for, oh, there they're coming. And the new ones are coming through for the spring. All right? And that's the way I've trained because it's, I'm alert to this. We are living in a society, let's face it, we're living in a society which has trained itself to be alert to offense. That is the, that is the society we live in. It's across the board. Everybody is alert to somebody crossing them. And if they can't find anybody that's crossing them, somebody is crossing somebody else. So we'll borrow offense. All right? If you can't be offended on your own, be offended for somebody else. And again, it's a cultural thing, but we're being trained to do it, right? You're alert to that. All right? You've been trained to be alert when you walk into a store about whether you have a mask on or not have a mask on. You're very alert to that. And people around you are alert to that. They've been trained to alert. Now, I'm saying it's this. <laughs> You're trained to alertness. Um, 
you some people are alert to the stock market they know what's happening and know how it's happening they're watching every day on that some people are alert to the weather they're alert there's a lot of things you can be alert to right now paul here says that if we're going to pray you have to be alert that means you're paying attention and you know what you're paying attention to all right our praying too often it's just scattered but he's saying here there's something going on. Now, what is going on that he's concerned about here? There is a fight going on. There's a fight going on. And in that fight, real people are being harmed. Right? The fight for Peter the night when Satan demanded permission to sift him like wheat was no joke. I can't imagine what that went... What what kind of emotional turnover took place as he committed himself to follow the Lord, as he got into that group, as he was ready to stand with the Lord, and then it began to erode on him, and he began to realize what this was going to potentially cost. And then he backs out, he denies the Lord, he hears the cock crow, and he realizes, I've done it, I did what I said I wouldn't do. And then he goes out into the weeping, (laughs) this is not a joke, this man's whole future could be on the line, right? Now, maybe you don't think so, but I've seen enough people who gave up. I can't go on. I've messed it up too far. I've done too much. Things can... I'll never try that again, right? Because of failures, because of defeat, because of all the rest of it. He's being sifted. And all around us, he's being sifted like wheat. All around us, we are in a conflict. And the same devil who asked for permission that night is is taking advantage of every opportunity God is giving him to attack the brethren. Because that's where his primary thoughts can be. And he says, now, if you want to be in this conflict, you want to pray, here's how you have to pray. You're going to have to be alert to where that is happening right around you. Right? And then you're going to have to do what? You're going to have to pray with, next word is perseverance. Perseverance. That's where you got to, you're going to have to enter into this and keep standing before God. Now, I want to say again, we could take this with respect to trusting the Lord for some things, all right? So we had to pray. Mr. Brazier was speaking about this morning. We had to pray one time for an entire year. We lost our capacity to bring students here. And we didn't have any clue which way to go. And so we were asking God to show us how we could bring students. That is a that's a legitimate answer to prayer, but it has nothing to do with what we're talking about here. That wasn't the conflict. Because the prayer that Paul is describing here is prayer for the other people in the line. Does that make sense? Because we're all being attacked. <laughs> we're being attacked. And I am to be alert to where that attack is occurring with respect to the people who are right around me. All right? And when I get there, then I have to stand. That's my job, is to stand, because their well-being and my well-being are tied up together. <laughs> this is not a, it's not like I can let this go. Now, this has been a thought all the way through the book of, of um, Ephesians, and I want to at least mention that. This isn't the only way we help the brethren. 
Back in chapter 4, he talks about the gifted men of the church. He says the gifted men were there to enable the other people to do the work of God. But then he goes on to talk about the fact that we are all to be pulling each other up, to be building each other up, to be doing this and teaching each other so that we all attain. All right, And this all attain is very important in the book of Ephesians. Because we have a tendency to focus our attention on individuals who are going to make the biggest difference. Right? Here's, here's the, the gifted preacher, the gifted teacher, the gifted this or that. And what about the person who doesn't look like they have much of a gift? Who, who cares about whether they fall off the side? Well, Paul's argument in the book is, you better care because when they're helped, you're helped. We're all in this together. When that person, no matter how unimportant he looks to you or she looks to you, is healthy, the whole body is improved. So if you have any question about whether that's true, just take a hammer, mash your little finger. How much do you use your little finger? Not much. Mash it. Mash it good. And then tell me whether or not that affects the functioning of your body. All right. So it's not the most important part. But Paul's argued that we have to build one another up. When he talks about the fullness of the Spirit, he says this is what it means to be filled with the Spirit of God. Again, he's not talking about prayer here. He's just talking about our, the fullness of the Spirit. He says, "What? Well, here's what you do. Here's what a man does who is filled with the Spirit of God. All right? He gives thanks. That's the first thing. He gives thanks for what's going on. But then he goes on to say this, that he, they speak to one another. Be filled. Speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Speaking to each other. So we're all talking to one another with what purpose? To build each other up. So he said to do it in, the, in chapter 4. And he says, this is what a man filled with the Spirit of God does. He's concerned. that, And we're all doing this to each other. All right? Now I guess this place the prayer, where's the attack come? I have to be alert because when we walk out there, there's when you walk into a battle, other people are shooting at you. All right. I grew up in the 1950s. The fathers of almost every person who was in my class had fought in the Second World War. None of them would ever say anything about it. The only time I heard any of them say anything about it was if two of them were together and they said, where did, where were you? I was in, you know, I was in the Philippines. Oh, I was in, you know, Europe somewhere. Where, where did you fight? That's all they ask. And once that was done, conversation over. Real warfare is not a pleasant subject. It is, it is a deadly business. It's not glamorous. But we're in a fight. And so as we go into this, we have to realize that there is a conflict to be won. There's people around us. We have to fight it out. Nobody would choose this. You're not choosing to be in this conflict, but you're in it. We're in it. We're dumped there. But it's not glamorous. It's a hard conflict, and it involves watching for what's actually happening and then rallying around that situation with prayer to God until the situation is changed. Now that brings us to the last part. He says to pray, the last all is to pray for all the saints. 
right? Pray for all the saints. Um, that's a tougher part, right? How are you going to understand all the saints? In the context of the book of Ephesians, I'm going to argue that he's not talking about all the saints. I don't happen to know any saints in Argentina. And I assume that there are some. I just don't happen to know any of them. So it would be impossible for me to pray for all of the saints because there's just too many of them. I mean, I'm just, I'm just trying to be practical. I mean, because sometimes we get these enormous prayer lists of people we're praying for. And I, I'm not opposed to this. This is really a dangerous one. I'm not trying to cut your prayer life back down. But how many people can I actually pray for? How many people can I actually be alert for? I can't be alert for the brethren in Argentina. I don't even know anything that's happening in Argentina. Now, again, someone could alert me that, oh, the church in Argentina is under pressure and we could pray for them. I I understand that. But as a whole, that isn't where I am in the conflict. All right. It's just like a battle line. Think of it, a big battle line going up to to take. When you go into that battle line, you are only involved with a few people, right? You're involved with your unit to get something done. You can't look over there and say, you know, two miles away, I wonder if they're doing what... That's not your... Not when the bullets are flying, right? You might think about that night before, whether they're going to be doing their part or they're doing... When, the, when it starts to really get into the heat of the battle, you're going to have to do your part, and you're going to be concerned about, you're going to be alert for this group of people right here. And I think that that's where he's getting at with the, all the saints. Now, the, all the saints, I believe, here in this one, goes back to that question we have about picking, you know, these are important saints and these are unimportant saints. The all the saints, because he's been speaking in the book of, of uh, Ephesians about the unity of the body and the importance of every member, the all here, I think, relates to the fact that we have to make sure that the person who we might consider to be least, who's being shot at in the fight, also needs to be upheld. And if they happen to be right beside you, that's probably a responsibility you should pick up. Right? Does that make sense? It's very difficult to get people to pray for people they don't know. I've personally, I, I put my hand up, I find that extremely difficult. Because I can't enter into it. I don't know. All you can do is make a big generic prayer. I can't even pray, and I, again, I'm, this is public, I'll my again. I can't even pray for all the students that have been here. I can't keep up with all of them. I don't know where they've all gone. I don't know what fights they're all in. I know where some of them are. And there are some that I do pray for on a pretty regular basis. The fact is that those have gone into missions that I have been most diligent in praying for were people that I knew when I was a student and when I was in my early days, and they went into missions. Most of them are retiring now, but they went out. I was involved with them. It is interesting in the Old Testament that when you had serious times where there was real pressure on people, they always grouped them together as families. Remember when Nehemiah was going to build the wall? All right. 
discouraged group of people. So he, <laughs> it was a mess. All we can say is that when he organized them, he says, now, we're going to organize by families. You get from here to here. You get from here to here. You get from here to here. So that if a conflict occurs, if the enemy comes in against you, who are you protecting? Your kids. Somebody you have heart identification with. Your uncle, your grandfather. Your, it's it's who you who you know really well, and that it's a clan organization there. So they they organize it in terms of clans. When I was a student, I used to think, oh, that's very selfish. Well, that's very practical, because you are most involved with the people that are right around you. And we're thinking about this with regards to church. So the application, although again we should. We should have broad prayer lives. We should find out as much as we can about what the church is involved in. But most of your praying in the conflict is going to be for people in your church. It's going to be people in your family. It's going to be people right around you or in works that you're identified with. It is one of the reasons why we have a prayer conference. Because if I can keep people identified with what we're doing here, then I can relate. I know that they will pray. They will pray for me. All right? Truth of the matter is, and, and this is why, again, I would really urge you, if you're thinking about going into ministry, get in a church and get some, get to know the people in that church because that's the, the most likely place that you're going to find real prayer support. The people who you grew up around, the people who actually know you, they're going to pray for you in a way that they won't pray for, for somebody else. You know, you get these lists of 100 people who are going to pray for you. Missionaries have to come up with, you know, 100 prayer warriors. I mean, I'm just, I'm, maybe I'm being cynical here. I am being cynical here. <laughs> Let's remove the maybe. I doubt seriously whether those hundred people pray regularly for them in any serious way. But I'll bet their mother does. And I'll bet their roommate from college who, who worked together with them does. And they're, out of those hundred people, there may be two or three people who actually support what's going on in vital ways. Because they love them, they're identified with them, they know them, all right? Just like when you're building an army, you're trying to create camaraderie among a group of people because you know that, and this, that's what I'm told, I have never been a soldier. I have never been in, conflict, uh, in combat. I want to say that. But I am told that in a combat, what you think about is survival of you and your group. That's all you think about. You don't think about the cause. You don't think about who's fighting over there. You, your whole concentration is on the buddies you have that are going up together into this conflict. Now, Paul is talking about, now pray for all the saints, but the, all saints here, they're all important. All, all those people that are right around you. See, I don't have to. Uh, my job is not... I, I used to think this way when I was a kid. I was going to you know, be in charge of the, the whole world coming to know God. <laughs> this is a big ambition. You know, I'm going to be involved in vital ways and God. And then after a while, you realize, you know what? About all I can handle is what he's given me right here. And somebody else might think it's a little work. It's big enough for me. Okay, it's big enough. <laughs> I've got enough people to pray for right now. I've got enough people around me who are being attacked. And if we hold this line, that's all I can do. God has to take care of the rest of the church. And if I can help, again, I pray for people who are in missions because I know I'm in missions. And it, it's a little bigger than that. But how big a mission, how big a work can you do and be really alert with it? Otherwise, you're just guessing. Basis, be alert and pray for all those saints.
Now, how intense is this? How important is it? I want you to notice where he goes next. Paul, after describing that, says this. And and I don't know whether you've ever sat down and really thought about this one, but here's what he says. And pray on my behalf. Paul is now going to make a prayer request. These people were people who had come to know the Lord, and their churches had been established, most of them by Paul. And it seems like it's more than just the Ephesians here, but anyway, we won't go into that right now. Pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may, may speak boldly as I ought to speak. You know, there was a long time I looked at that and I just read past it as if, you know, it's Paul just saying he had to throw in a prayer request. You know, we have, to, oh, what are your prayer requests? Oh, I'll be thinking, sure, I'll throw in a prayer request. All right. But Paul goes from praying for all saints. Now, please pray for me. And here's what I want you to pray for me. This is really quite an incredible prayer request. I'm asking you to pray for me that I'll have words to speak and that I will have courage to speak them. Now, that's an interesting one to me, because if you read in Corinthians about the Apostle Paul, the question of courage seems a little strange. Here's a man that's been beaten over and over again. He's been stoned. He's been in front of rioting crowds. <laughs> I mean, the man's courage. But he says, pray for me. Now, again, I can't read it because I don't know. I want to back off here, and I'm not trying to accuse the Apostle Paul of anything. How intense can the conflict get? If a man of that kind of courage says, pray for me that I'll have courage, that I'll be bold in presenting the word, then he must be under some real severe testing, or else he's just talking in the wind, and I don't think Paul talks in the wind. Because the conflict had gotten intense there. And I I don't want to even try to guess what kind of thing. But he might have been close to the end. Maybe it was close to the time when he thought he was going to go to trial. And he began to think at that point, maybe it would be time. I'm, I'm making all this up. I don't know. I have no idea. Maybe it would be wise for me not to say too much more before the trial. I don't know. I'm just trying to think of something that Paul, of all things, could have. Why would he want to back off? The other side of it is this. There has never been a time that you ever note in the, again, you'll never note in the Word of God, when Paul was at a loss for words. I mean, under the most, you know, in in circumstances where I would have been panicked and they wouldn't have heard a word from me, I'm just going to try to figure out how to get out of here alive, he's still preaching. All right? Man, he's in Ephesus. That's where this was written to, in Ephesus, where the crowd is ready to, to eat him alive out there. And they say, you can't go out there. No, I need to go out there and finish this. I mean, well, come on, Paul. He, had a, he still had his message to deliver and could have delivered it. He got stoned and went back to finish his message. He's never been lost for words, but he says, at this point, I'm asking that you will pray that I will be given the words that I need. This is amazing. What does it teach me? It teaches me, or I'm, I'm getting out of that, that Paul was under severe attack and he was dependent on the church to pray for him so that that attack would not subdue his ministry in presenting the gospel. 
And if that took place, we can have what we read about in Philippians, which I think was the last of the books. Again, this is, a, I don't know the answer. This is, I'm just guessing here. But I think Philippians is the last of the books right before he gets out. And he can say then that, hey, those in Caesar's household greet you. They've heard the word. <laughs> and part of the reason why I think he could say at that point that this will come to my deliverance because through your prayers and the ministry of the Spirit of God is because your prayers also, or prayers before this, had meant that he was able to continue to minister like he should have ministered, not backed off by whatever it was that was making him, forcing him to that request. I don't think the Apostle Paul would have made that request if he hadn't really needed those prayers, if there wasn't some pressure to that end. The fight is intense. What part of the fight are you in? That's the question here. What part of the fight are you in? You're in a church somewhere. You need to be in a church somewhere. You need to be identified with the people of God. Where is it that you have been placed by God to perform for His glory, to live for His honor? Around you are other believers. The prayer request that He's or this this particular aspect of prayer is right there. You have a responsibility. And your responsibility is to be watching out for the people around you. I think that's extremely important. I'm going to finish with this one. It's extremely important in our day because with the new pressures from the outside against the church, there is the danger of collapsing into self-concern about what's going to happen to me. One of the best antidotes to that is get your eyes up and alert for the people around you and fight for them. If a soldier keeps fighting for the group that's here, he can keep his balance. Once a person starts to become self-protective in a conflict, it's he becomes worthless to everybody around him. It's a tough day. I know it's a tough day, but it's a day that God gave for us, right? He created this day for us to glorify Him. You have been shaped and prepared for it. We have everything we need to live in whatever God puts in front of us. It's, we have to believe that. That's what we heard last night. God creates the circumstances. And in the middle of those, what are we in, what's our job? Well, the mind of the Lord was to take care of those around him, right? He came from heaven to do this. And in the conflict, in prayer, if I will concentrate on those around me, I will find the strength to keep on going. Who's dropping around you? Who's in trouble? Who needs the prayer? What's our job? We're to throw everything we've got at it, all prayer and petition. We are to keep it up. We are to pay attention to what's going on and then persevere until we see that one lifted up, that one delivered, that that person helped out. And we're to do that with respect to the entire body of Christ. That, that Again, it is around you particularly. And then we'll see the glory of God together. It's a tremendous opportunity. Prayer is not incidental. It's fundamental. And we have a responsibility not only to ourselves to be right before God, but to each other to pray so that the will of God is done between us. Okay, let's pray. Father, we come before you and we give you thanks for the opportunity to serve you. And we're asking you to teach us how to pray. And we look to you for it and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.